Hello and welcome to Servant's Heart Chapel. I am Pastor Daryl, and I hope today's episode is a special blessing to you. If you have your uh, Bibles with you, turn to Romans chapter 7. That's where we'll be at today. This chapter ended up being a very significant chapter for me personally. And I'll explain why later. Um, Just a very powerful, uh, all of it, every chapter, right, that we've gone through through Romans, um, as we're going through, we uh, beginning some of the need to be saved, and then we got to God's solution, and then from there we, we, we've been going through the different freedoms we have in Christ, beginning with freedom from wrath and freedom from sin, and now we have freedom from the law. And exactly what does it mean to be free from the law? <clears throat> and what is the law's place? in the Christian life. We're going to talk about that today. And and I think, I, I'm not sure exactly how time is going to play out on this, I, but if, if a question arises, I don't want you to forget it. I want you, I'm actually going to ask you to use your phones during the sermon. If a question arises, um, please just send me a text. And at the end of the sermon, if, if there are actually any questions, um, I, I'd like to uh, answer those questions. You're given the opportunity to do that. And if you w- don't wait and don't think, well, I'll just talk to... Uh, I, uh, um, you think you'll just talk to me later. I, because we have lots of people who listen to the podcast and they may have the same question. And I... And, and of course, they could send emails if they'd like to, uh, but uh, it might be of value to somebody out there listening. Um, if you ask uh, something that's on your mind. <clears throat> so, with that being said, you know we ask the question: What is the place of the law in Christian discipleship? Now that Christ has come and inaugurated this new era that we are currently in, there really are three possible attitudes to the law, and some of this material I got from John Stott, who wrote a book on Romans, fantastic book. It's been one of my primary resources as I've been preaching through Romans. He noticed that, we could, we could divide up the, the three possible attitudes toward the law uh, to legalism, libertines, and law-fulfilling freedom. Legalists are under the law and in bondage to it. They imagine that their relationship with God depends on their obedience to the law. And they are seeking both to be justified and sanctified by it, by their obedience to the law. But reality comes in and and they are crushed by the law's inability to save them. Then you have libertines. They go the opposite direction. They 
blame the law on their problems and they reject it altogether and claim to be rid of all obligation to his demands. They turn liberty into license. Now, I've seen people on both those extremes, the, the uh, legalists uh, who, who follow the letter of the law and, and, and they seem to measure their closeness with God with how well they follow those guides. And then I've seen libertines that have no law. They just, well, I'm, I'm a sinner, so I'm just going to live my own life. This is, and if I do something, it's because God wanted me to do it. I've had people tell me that. Then you have the law-fulfilling free people, and they preserve the balance of the two between the law and freedom. They rejoice both in their freedom from the law for justification and sanctification. They don't have, they realize that I don't have to rely on the law to save me or sanctify me. And also they rejoice in their freedom to fulfill it, to obey God's law. <clears throat> Thus legalists fear the law and are in bondage to it. Libertines hate the law and, and repudiate it. They reject it. And the law-abiding free people love the law and fulfill it. You could divide up this chapter into three primary sections, verses 1 through 6. Paul asserts that the law no longer has authority over us. By dying to it with Christ, we have been released from it, and we now belong to Christ instead. This is the message for legalists. In verses 7 through 13, he defends the law against unjust criticism that it causes both sin and death. There are people who are saying that, though the law causes sin and death. He attributes these instead to our fallen nature. And the law itself is good, and this is his message for libertines. Then you have verses 14 through 25. Paul describes the inner conflict of those who are still living under the regime of the law. They're moralists. They're trying to appease God, trying to get to heaven by following the law. If left to ourselves and our fallenness, we can't keep God's law, even though we delight in it, nor can we... Uh, can the law rescue us? But God has done what the law could not do by giving us his spirit, and we talk about that in chapter 8. These three paragraphs of Romans 7 may be appropriately entitled Release from the Law, a defense, I'm sorry, a release from the law uh, in order to serve God in the spirit verses 1 through 6. Verses 7 through 13 could be defined or entitled A Defense of the Law Against a False Accusation That It Causes Sin and Death. And then finally, 14 through 25 could be entitled The Weakness of the Law Because It Can Neither Justify Nor Sanctify Sinners. 
But before we get into chapter seven, even, I think it's important that we review some of the concepts that we've already discussed earlier in the book of Romans. To be sure, in theory, the person who does the law will live by them, as as the Bible says. But in practice, no human has succeeded, ever succeeded in obeying the entire law except for Christ. Therefore, it can never be the way to salvation. Instead, we see, and in, 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 you don't have to turn here, I'm just going to flip a couple pages over. Uh, Romans 3, verse 20 uh, says, For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law, because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. We see that the law reveals sin. The law also, in chapter 3, verse 19, now we know whatsoever the law says speaks to those who are subject to the law so that every mouth may be shut and the whole world may become subject to God's judgment. We see that the law condemns sinners. The measuring stick. We see in, in, in chapter 4, verse 15, for the law produces wrath, and where there is no law, there's no transgression. We see the law defines sin as transgression. We also see that it brings wrath. And finally, um, we see in chapter 3, verse 27, Where there is boasting, it is excluded. By what kind of law? By one of works? No, on the contrary, by the law of faith. We see that sinners are justified not through obeying the law, but through faith in Christ. We're pronounced innocent. And we see in verse 31 of chapter 3, do we then cancel the law through faith? Absolutely not. On the contrary, we uphold the law. We see that such faith upholds the law by assigning the law to its proper function. And that's to point people to Christ. Living under the law doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean that you're under the law of Moses, by the way. We're not just talking about the law of Moses the ten, or the Ten Commandments. But you can be bound by the law of your denomination. Or you, even the law that you impose upon yourself. These are the rules that I'm going to go by to, 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 to please God. Living under the law doesn't mean that you're not determined or self-disciplined. It means that you measure your spirituality by these things. Let me say that again. Living under the law, uh, living under the law 
means that you measure your spirituality by these things, these these rules. And if they're not done, then you think you've failed to win the love and favor of God in your life. Christians can actually find themselves living under the law. And I'm going to talk more about that as we continue. So let's actually get into uh, Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Since I'm speaking to those who understand law, brothers, are you not unaware that the law has authority over someone as long as he lives? For example, a married woman is legally bound to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law according regarding the husband. So then if she gives herself to another man while her husband is living, she'll be called an adulteress, but if her husband dies, she is free from that law. Then if she gives herself to another man, she is not an adulteress. So if we die to the law, we're not not bound by the law. We got that. So then continue in verse 4. Therefore, my brothers, you you also were put to death in relation to the law through the crucified body of the Messiah, so that you may belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we may bear fruit for God. Notice the word that there, that it's, it's a resulting. So this, is a re, this next clause is a result of something. And what's, what's a result of? It's result of being given to Christ. We belong, now belong to Christ. that we may bear fruit for God. Bearing fruit is a natural process. Missy and I picked apples Saturday morning from an apple tree that was overloaded and the owner didn't want to take time to pick it and she didn't want a big mess on, on the ground. Apples are already dropping on the ground. I would say, at least a third of them probably were already on the ground, at least what we saw. A lot of them. And so she didn't want to clean up that big mess of rotting apples. Uh, and so we went over there and picked apples. And this, this tree bore a whole bunch of apples. We got, we're going to be eating some applesauce from it uh, in our Sunday dinner today. Uh, and Mrs. made apple butter and all kinds of wonderful, uh, the, the house smells like apples. Apples and cinnamon. This tree produced, the tree didn't have to work. didn't have to strive. The tree didn't have to study. The tree didn't have to uh, put forth any kind of effort besides just being a tree. But there are some things that can affect uh, 
fruit production in a tree. It can be too soon. There can be an environmental impact, maybe not enough sun or too much sun or the soil's not right or not enough water or too much water. There can be disease or the trees not properly pruned can affect how much fruit. All this, I think, all these realities fit very nicely with what God expects of us in producing fruit for Him in our lives. And I think we kind of see that. We're going to jump over real quick to John chapter 15. In verse 1, Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vineyard keeper. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. He prunes every branch that produces fruit, so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because the word I have spoken. You remain in me, and I in you, just as the branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine. So neither can you, can you unless you remain in me. So to start right there, producing fruit for Christ, we have to be can stay connected to Him. And notice too that remember I mentioned that pruning effects or not proper pruning affects fruit production. And notice who does the pruning? It's not us. We don't prune ourselves. God does the pruning. So that's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to remain in Christ, to remain close to Him, to have a relationship with Him. And I'll talk more about that later on. And in verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in Him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. You can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he's thrown aside like a branch and he withers. So we have one responsibility to remain in Christ. Verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want will be done for you. My Father is glorified for this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. So remain in Christ. That's our responsibility. I'll, I'll talk more like I said, about that later on. But just remember that reality. That here he says, so he talks about uh, being part of the law and, and, and we're separated from the law because we were crucified in Christ. Therefore, we don't belong to the law anymore. We belong to Jesus. And if we remain in him, as Jesus said in John, we can bear much fruit for God. And notice it, it, it it's... it's we're not something that we're, we're supposed to be necessarily working for and trying to make happen of our own strength, of our own ability, our own wisdom. All God expects of us is to remain in Him. 
remain close to him. And God does the rest. He cares for us. He prunes us. Verse 5, For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions operated through the law in every part of us and bore fruit for death. See, we, were, we belong to the law of sin. We were citizens of hell. And we were bound to the law of sin. And we produce fruit for sin. Fruit that we're ashamed of. Fruit that produces death. But it's not the law. It's not God's law that does that. There were some people that were saying that. If you take a dish of baking soda, and it's baking soda just sitting there, not doing anything at all, inert, and you pour vinegar into it, what's going to happen? It's going to bubble up, right? There's going to be a reaction. If we uh, say that the baking soda is, 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 is the sin nature in us, and, and the vinegar is the law, what happens is when the sin nature comes uh, into, into connection with, with God's truth, there is a reaction, and it's not the vinegar's fault. The baking soda is reacting to the vinegar. And so our sin nature reacts. It's provoked by God's law. Now it won't, it won't happen until we know something is right or wrong. When I was in seventh grade, my parents got called in for a teacher's conference. Uh, my English teacher had called it. I had no idea what it was about. Completely clueless. And she said, well, Daryl wrote this paper. I think it was on presidents. And, and she said, some of these sections, he wrote just word for word what was in the encyclopedia. And I was like, yeah. And my, and my parents were like, well, why did you do that? And I said, because when I read it, I couldn't think of a better way to say it. it made sense to me. So I just wrote what they wrote. And I can't remember if it was a teacher. I think it was my, my dad who said, you can't do that. That's plagiarism. And then I said, what is plagiarism? And the meeting was over at that point, by the way. I mean, it was done. There was no, teacher didn't apologize. Because clearly she had failed, right? But I didn't know about plagiarism until that moment. But you know, before that point, I was never tempted to plagiarize. After the moment, I was. Why? Because the, the sin nature inside me found another law to fight against. 
And that's what happens inside us. Verse 6, but now we have been released from the law since we have died to what held us so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old letter of the law. Praise the Lord. We, we, we serve under the rule of Christ. I have for you today, those taking notes, I have four, the four F's of living under the rule of Christ. Number one, faith in Christ. We have to have faith in Christ. We have to trust Him. We have to believe in Him. In order to even begin a relationship with Him. Number two, fellowship with Christ. We have to spend time with Him. We have to pray. We have to read His Word. We have to uh, take time to think about what His Word says and, and just fellowship in Christ's presence in our daily lives. Number three, we have to practice faithfulness to Christ. We have to be reliable to Him and there for Him and, 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 uh, and whether in public and private. And finally, fruitfulness by Christ. Fruitfulness by Christ. Where, we're, we're, where our lives are bearing fruits of the Spirit, fruits of God, fruits of wisdom, fruits of joy, fruits of peace. And that's all by Christ. I'm not producing that. I'm just walking with Him. And God is doing that in my life. That's the new way of the Spirit. I like that way. That's a lot better than what we're going to talk about in a second here, in a few minutes, when we get down to 13. But meanwhile, let's continue on with verse 7. What should we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. For example, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, do not covet. Kind of like me and plagiarism, right? And verse 8, And sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind, for apart from the law, sin is dead. Now, I do want to say, uh, sin here, referring to uh, the inclination of sin, not a specific sin, but this inclination of sin, this nature of sin, this drive to sin, uh, this corruption inside us that we received from Adam in our current body. That's why we're getting new bodies. Can you imagine living, living in our new bodies at some point? We're not going to feel that inclination to sin. We're not going to feel a temptation anymore. Verse 9, once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. The commandment that was meant for life resulted in death for me. What did he mean by that? God's law 
is intended to guard and promote life. But we can't keep it. Haven't been able to keep it, and death results. Thank God he made a way. Verse 11, for sin, once again, that inclination to sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So then the, the law is holy and the commandment is holy and just and good. The law is holy. I want, God's law is holy, but it can never make me holy. God's law is just, but it can never justify me. God's law is good, but it can never make me good. It can't do that. We needed Christ. Verse 13, Therefore, Did what is good cause my death? Absolutely not. On the contrary, sin, in order to be recognized as sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that through the commandment, sin might become sinful beyond measure. I don't know if anybody here like me, but I a tendency to, to to focus more on on the rules than the redeemer. The reality is we can't save ourselves any more than, than we can sanctify ourselves. So why do we have a tendency uh, to, to trust in our flesh over and over again? We can't. God never said you could. God can. And he always said he could. The biblical view of the part the law plays in our lives, uh, as I've been describing it, uh, can also be described in this way. The law serves as a CAT scan revealing the cancer inside us. The law can't cure nor can it remove the cancer. In order to do that, that requires a skilled surgeon. We actually have a friend, Matt Barnett, who's about to have surgery, hopefully remove some cancerous stuff 
um, and he's praying for uh, praying for healing. But he's dependent upon a, a qualified surgeon. Uh, God is the only one qualified to remove the sin from your heart. You can't do it. We just need to trust the Lord. Let Him lead us. All right, where was I? Here we are. All right. I'm beginning. Uh, I, I'm, I'm getting ready to read uh, verses. Or sorry, verse fourteen. Notice as I read it that uh, you have verses fourteen through seventeen, and then eighteen through twenty. Kind of basically repeats what fourteen through seventeen says, and the purpose of that is to add emphasis. I think I've, said, I've mentioned this before in earlier stuff that ancient writers all the way up to probably as late as the 19th century uh, writers and add, drive home the point would often just repeat what they had said. And, and so the Bible is no different. So this is important and we're going to focus on that now um, as we finish up uh, today's sermon. Uh, verse 14, for we know the law is spiritual, but I am made out of flesh. Or it also be interpreted as I am carnal. Sold into sin's power. Now I want you to point out that this is him describing the moralist. You're not going to hear the spirit mentioned here. You're not going to see Christ mentioned here. Uh, Paul is making his case against the legalists, the moralists, those that are struggling to to please the Lord, please the Lord, struggling to get to heaven by just doing things, by being a good person. And and you might recognize some of this. I know I did in my own life, in my own heart. I I, I I've experienced uh, what they're talking about. Or what Paul is talking about. Uh, verse 15. For I do not understand what I am doing. Because I do not practice what I want to do. But I do what I hate. You ever been like that? Moralist is trying to satisfy God's justice. Satisfy God's requirements by uh, obeying the law but he's failing. Verse 16, And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good, so now I'm no longer the one doing it, but it is a sin living in me, for I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh, for the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. For what I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do, now if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but it is the sin that lives in me. So I discover this principle. 
When I want to do what is good, evil is with me. For my inner self, I joyfully agree with God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin, the parts of my body. What a wretched man that I am! will rescue me from this dying body or body of death. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind, I myself am a servant to the law of God, but with my flesh to the law of sin. There is this inner conflict with this individual trying to please God and unable to do it. Mind, I, I want to do what's right. Lord, I want to be pleasing to you. And inside this, this carnal nature, this carnality, is, is an enemy of God, an enemy of the Spirit. And what's what it wants? It fights against everything you want to do. to that. And that solution is Christ. And, and uh, we're going to talk extensively about that next week in chapter 8. But I'll give you a hint. Verses 1 through 2 in chapter 8 say, Therefore, no condemnation now exists for those in Christ Jesus. You know what condemnation means? It means damnation. It means you are charged, you are guilty, you are sentenced. The Bible says there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus because the Spirit's law of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. We were citizens of hell, and through Christ we have left that, left that dominion, left that law, what we were under before, the power that had over us it no longer has. We're now in Christ. We're citizens of heaven. It's a new game, a new set of rules. And I'm, I'm looking forward to next week's sermon. But I want to conclude with this. As I said, you can... You can We, as Christ followers, can fall into error by putting too much attention on performance when it comes to our relationship with God. What do I mean by that? <clears throat> As I, I've been studying this chapter all week long, and this morning, as I'm reading through it, as I'm doing my final notes and getting everything together, it suddenly hits me, am I a moralist? And it was, it was so hard to wrap around my, 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 my head around that uh, possibility but I felt like there was something there, and, and I actually ended up calling Brother Sam's and talking it through with him. And 
And here's what in conclusion I came down to. <coughs> I came to. I have strived for and worried about help, uh, about keeping Christ's commands so I could rest assured that I know him. Okay? That's been my philosophy. I have a tendency towards truth and uh, and exact objective stuff as I mentioned and, and, and he talked about that he, he mentioned that that's part of my nature and I told him that how Missy um, had said that I was military before I joined the military and so the tendency of that and not enough focus on grace. So because of that, and, and I, I, I strive for, and I, I've worried about keeping Christ's commands so I could rest assured that I knew him. If I do all this, I know I'm in a right relationship with Christ, and things are good. Here's a problem with that. I had to ask myself, Let's say I die at this moment and found myself at the gates of heaven and I, I've, I'm in heaven and God has accepted me. How likely would I say, I did it? I had to admit that wasn't off the table. So I was basing part of my relationship with God on my performance. And there's nothing we can do, right? There's nothing we can do to earn our way to heaven. <clears throat> and so because of this, because of this attitude I had, any deviation from my expectations for myself was cause for concern that my relationship with God might be in jeopardy. So I've been doing all this pressure all these years. The truth is, I am not saved or sanctified by how well I keep God's law. I am saved and sanctified because of what Christ did for me. I already have all the heavenly currency I need in my relationship with Christ and any moral behavior that results from that is strictly a byproduct of the relationship. So I walk close to the Lord. And he leads me. As we sang today, precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on, help me stand. <clears throat> Maybe you might be wondering if you're living under the law. It's common, brother. It can happen.
Here's some signs. I'm going to close with this. Here's some signs that you might be living under the law or at least focusing too much on it. <clears throat> Number one, you're not sure you're completely forgiven. You worry about that. You worry about the state of your salvation. Number two, you serve God out of duty instead of out of delight. This because I have to do it. It's not out of joy of, of being uh, trying to just uh, make God proud of you as a child would his father. Number three, you suffer from performance anxiety. Am I doing enough? Am I working hard enough? Am I, am I reading the Bible enough? Am I praying enough? Am I, am I, I, did I have the right attitude? There's constant stress and constant anxiety. If you do something God is not pleased with, he'll let you know. Sometimes we seem to create in ourselves Did I I said so I told that person, you know, it was it was two fifty and I realized, you know, it was two fifty one or I knew it was two fifty one and I said two fifty anyways. I'm like, Did I lie there? I I don't know if I that anxiety that's not you know it's not conviction you're feeling because you know what God's conviction feels like. People with their hands just turning white on the pews from just great conviction. When you do something you're not supposed to do, God's going to let you know. Number four, you think you are called to work for God instead of being called to do the work of God. That's different relationship. God's not your employer. He's your heavenly Father. Number five, you think you have to overcome and not let Jesus overcome. Oh, I've got to do this. No, let Jesus do it. You do what you know you're supposed to do. But do everything you can and let Jesus do the rest. And finally, number six, you think salvation is nothing more than self-denial and personal sacrifice. <clears throat> you come up, you say a few words, and then I'm going to uh, give so much money to the church, and I'm going to give so much time for the church, and therefore I'm saved. And there's no relationship at all. It's just doing serve acts of service. Let's focus on the service rather than the relationship. So those are some signs 
that you might be living under the law or at least focusing too much on it. And we're going to talk. You know, we're free from the law. We're free to obey the law. But we're not condemned by the law. We're forgiven. Well, Pastor Darrell, you know what? If I sin, you know, haven't I violated the law? Yes, you have. But what does the Bible say? John say, my little children, I write these things that you may not sin. But if you do sin, what, ha- what we, if you do sin, repent and, and, and grovel at God's feet and, and focus on that? No, John focused on the fact that, that Jesus is our advocate. Don't be in despair. Make it right with God. Clear your heart. Say, God, I didn't want to do that. I hate that. I hate that part of my life. I want to be rid of it. Confess and forsake and then move on, knowing that you're secure in the Lord. We'll talk about... The freedom we have from death and, and the Holy Spirit, the, the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, and looking forward to sharing that. Well, it's been a long, long sermon today. Wasn't expecting this. Let's stand. Well, that's all for today. We certainly hope it was a blessing to you. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can email us at servantsheartchapel at gmail.com. Like to learn more about our church, you can go to servantsheartchapel.org. Have a wonderful day.